Today on the show, we're going to be taking a look at the Icon Series Part 2 with The Crow. And the Podski starts now. The Podski with John Baker. For over one year, the revolutionary force in audio entertainment. Freak out, freak out. I just had an out-of-body experience. Insane in the membrane, brother. Yeah. And I'm here for only one reason, and that's to take it to the limit, yeah. Somebody stop the damn man. Living on the edge. Who is your daddy? Hello and welcome to the Potsky. I'm your host, Johnny Bake Show, and with me ringside today is the doctor of Podskinomics, the pizza peon, the lover of Steve Borden himself, the, the pepperoni prince. The pepperoni prince. Forgot about that one. The pet, the prince of pepperoni, Dr. JC. What the is the real going- people's champion? Suck it, Dwayne. I can't. E- I can't even get started on that. <laughs> yeah, we could. I'm we gonna- could do a, a small series on that fuck up. Uh, not even a small series. We we could do a whole year's worth of series on why it's such a terrible idea. Uh, but- God, if I didn't have a job, we could do that. <laughs> yes, if we didn't have real jobs in the real world, <laughs> shoot could- jobs, if you will. We're gonna have to quit our shoot jobs. Yeah, for real. Uh, but uh, yes. Yeah, so today we are. Picking up where we left off, if you listen to the Icon series part one, which was uh, 86 to up to Bash at the Beach 96 of Sting's career, uh, we're picking up right there and we're going to take you the whole way to the end of WCW. And then we'll do part three, which will cover TNA, WWE, and AEW. And that will be the leading up to the week of uh, AEW Revolution. So if you were listening to the first episode and you were like well i just put coming soon uh i didn't have a plan so now i have a plan of the of the rest of the year kind of what i want to cover so uh, if you're following us on twitter and instagram you will be able to see the full layout of at least february uh, and i'm going to keep that updated every month of what we got coming down the pipeline so um i'm super excited to dive back into steve borden today it's uh this is a fun series yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It's been awesome to go in and kind of take a deeper look at some of the stuff that I thought I remembered um, and kind of how things progressed and what I remembered with rose-colored glasses and what I remembered differently or didn't remember. <clears throat> so it's been really cool to to go back and, you know, take a, a re-look at stuff and and see how things actually were objectively in 2024 lenses. You know, or, you know, if you call that objectively, I guess, but um, <laughs> it's been cool to go back to go back and, and see some of this and maybe pick up on some stuff that I either didn't watch when I was a kid or um, don't quite remember as well. So, yeah, it's been great. And it's a, a small, small tribute we can do to. For a person who has um, contributed so much to a art form business, whatever you want to call it, that we both appreciate so much. Yeah. I, 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 I like what you said there about like going back and looking at stuff and trying to remember because 
not even trying to remember, but just refreshing the brain because we're going to talk about like one of the the, the biggest pay per views that ever happened to WCW history. We're going to talk about that later, and just I didn't remember how like awful that was, mm-hmm. and because I remember watching it. Like I've done, I've mentioned it multiple times here. I started a Nitro watch along, and Sting, like whenever he changed into this Crow gimmick, it was awesome, and then just like not remembering everything that you see but just remembering how awesome the crow was and i'm really glad that we get to we get to take a trip down memory lane here with the crow yeah for sure for sure bringing back good memories and uh it was unearthing some late uh late stage nitro bad memories but uh, oh my oh we'll talk about vampiro briefly Uh, but yeah, we can just pick up here where we left off from the last episode. We we ended the last episode at Bash at the Beach 96. And the Bash at the Beach 96 was such an important... I mean, now looking back with 2024 rose-colored glasses, this pay-per-view is the biggest... It feels like the biggest pay-per-view in the industry's history. Uh, in what we would technically, I guess, in terms of modern terms, call modern because i would think people would say that wrestlemania one is probably the most important but i guess i would argue that bash at the beach 96 changed the business forever it sparked the hottest time in wrestling history when it got as close to mainstream as it may well ever get yeah Um, it'll ever return that that hot ever regardless of what he does and you look, you like you look at the presentation, like regardless of the significance of what it was, but you just look at the presentation of it all. Mm-hmm. And it is butt cheeks. Like <laughs> I, I will. It I is will, not. The stage does not look great. I'll disagree. I love the stage. I love those ninety stages. I love the sand. I'm sure that was a, such a pain in the ass to set up. No, I mean so. What I mean for at the time, yeah, it was appropriate and like cool. But then, like, you look at what they can do today and the level of things they can do today, whether it's AEW, WWE, sure. Yeah. So I appreciate it in context. And I, and I do agree those themed stages where they had physical props, like, there's something to be said for the big screens. And I get it. But like, you do lose some of the fun and like, like the big sickles from yeah. what was it judgment day or backlash yeah judgment or yeah yeah that was backlash that had the big sickles yeah, uh, like come on that that's some dope shit blood. halloween havoc with the ghoul and the pumpkin like yes give me that pumpkin in my backyard every day <laughs> yes so but yeah i like i i in going back and and watching that i watched that couple months ago maybe just as a refresher i don't remember what made me think about it but i remember thinking man just like for the time good shit but then like you look at it in the modern context and it's like oh this does not age as well (laughs) but if you appreciate that if you can appreciate the era and stuff good shit yeah so kind of where we left off too is the the formation of the NWO was starting with Nash and Hall and, you know, Nash obviously comes down Canadian tuxedo does the whole, you know, what 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know who I am, but you don't know why I'm here. Then Kevin Nash comes in a few weeks later. Uh, then, you know, they tease that they have a third man and mm -hmm. the the third man. No one really knew who it was. And it was rumored that it was going to be Sting. And yep. the reason it was going to be Sting was as if they couldn't get Hogan. So when I know that uh, I know that Bischoff has said, I know in the book of WC, uh, the book of the death of WCW book, mm -hmm. they were convinced that Hogan was going to do the right thing when he left the curtain to come mm -hmm. down save. And yeah. I guess I should probably lay out a little more context here. It was a yeah, with the three on two with the outsiders versus sting luger and macho man all in the paint mm -hmm. wonderful set of figures need to find them all yeah that is a great set by the way uh that was a target exclusive i believe yeah that was prior to me collecting and i'm very disappointed in that because i would have bought the shit out of that yeah oh it's such a good set um but they they, they work the match basically they take out luger right away to even the odds well that's good because he can't work for shit anyway so he wasn't that much <laughs> but that was what they kind of did to even the odds out yep the yep. outsiders was to take luger out and then it became essentially a two-on-two -two, and then they've got sting out of the ring and they they're holding down macho man and they're just beating the tar out of him and you know here comes hulkamania strutting mm -hmm. ass down the aisle not knowing whether or not i think i feel like we need to take a quick second to talk about hogan's fit why is he wearing like yellow cowboy boots to to like come down here and work this but like i feel like it's such an awesome fit it, it's an underrated fit because it pops brother yeah. the fans want to see the red and the yellow you got to give them the red and the yellow damn uh <laughs> Yeah, uh, so, yeah, you were talking about them, you know, sort of the, the build up to it. Um, and it's interesting when you kind of go back and look at behind the scenes and hear about what was going on. Like Sting understood that the character was starting to, you know, run downhill and, and that the hmm. 90s had that counterculture anti-hero grunge kind of feel to it and that the sequins the blonde hair the white meat baby face wasn't going to work anymore um so he had begun to kind of have that sense that's why you saw him stop dyeing his hair and it was starting to grow back out um and he had changed sort of the colors it wasn't all neon colors anymore it was neon accent colors yeah. with with darker main colors um and then, like you said, he was when when Hogan didn't initially want to do the heel turn, Sting was going to be the um, he was going to be the third man. Yeah. So it's interesting to think about, like you said, what happened if um, if Hogan went into business for himself, which would happen later. Um <laughs> What would have happened if Hogan went into business for himself and decided not to go with that plan in the moment? Right. Um, and how would have, how would, like, did Sting and Bischoff have a, have a side thing? Hey, if this is what happens. Right. You know, you gotta, 
you got to take back control of this thing. It's kind of interesting to think about that. Like, what if what if Hogan went out there and didn't and didn't do the turn? Like, yeah. I almost want to know what the what plan B was. Like, how if does, there even was one? If there, that's true, what if there even was a plan B? Because I don't even I'm not even convinced that there was. Yeah. And it's just a, when you start thinking about it, you get your wheels turned. Like, what if? What if that like that the, the turn didn't happen and Sting had to come in and like try to like fix that? Probably would have been WCW 2000 before WCW 2000. Probably would have been pure chaos. Or um, WrestleMania uh, 40 booking. Well. <laughs> There's going to be a theme. You'll be able to tell when we recorded this one. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. Um, um, but but it it is interesting, like we were talking about, to think how would that have happened? And if there was no plan, like. Was Sting st- standing in the corner or laying on the uh, floor by the on you know on the mats, thinking, "All right, how do I how do I do this if he's not going to play ball and we need to get to a certain point?" Right. It's it's very interesting. Counts. He's such a great dude, and right. like, would he have just would he have just let it play out? That's also true too. Like, what if he just lets it play out and then they get to the back and then it's like chaos back there? Yeah. That's an interesting thing to think about. But, um, you know, fortunately for everybody involved, and I think Hogan making the right choice there was ultimately best for um, Sting as mm-hmm. well. Because if if you look at the time later, and maybe it's partly because of the booking and the time, no one buys him as a bad guy correct it just it has it it never worked and so maybe it would have worked in that scenario but if part of the thing was okay it's this invading force from wwe and that's the context of it Mm -hmm. if it's not said out loud right then maybe maybe it doesn't work with sting it would have needed to be a complete reshuffling like Mm. he never wears paint again he continues to grow the hair out, you know, kind of like maybe even something like they did with the main event mafia where he had the suit on the whole time. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sunglasses. So maybe that was how it would work. But even then, I don't know. So I think I think Hogan doing the right thing and, you know, being interested in money. The one of the times where this actually worked out well. Right. Um, And it forced Sting into, you know, into a. A similar role, but you know he also had to op- be open to finding different things. So, um, you know they they do the promo at the end. You you fans can stick it, brother, and um, it it launches them into the next phase of this, right? And this is like where the big character shift starts for Sting. He is, you know he he comes out, and I I have here the the. The fall brawl, the nitro after fall, fall brawl, where he cuts that promo is is war games in there. Is that war games? Is that in nine? Is that in fall brawl? Yes, I believe it was fall brawl war games. So just a brief timeline on that. Um, so in the in the nitros in the weeks after Hogan's turn, uh, Lex and Sting are trying to. Uh, get Flair and Anderson to work together to take on the NWO at War Games. They wanted to get ahead of this. They wanted to sort of end this thing early, get it done, defeat the NWO, keep you know, keep it before it gets any worse. 
Um, and the big thing was they wanted to defend WCW. They these are four of the stalwarts. They had been there since you know the mid to late eighties with Sting hmm. and Luger, uh, and then obviously Flair uh, and Arn before that. You know, so these were the these were the WCW guys. So they have it set up. They you know they do the the build to them deciding to work together and and Arn and Rick working with those two um and then if you do the quick math on that there's no it's an uneven amount it's uneven teams yeah the nwo <laughs> has three uh the wcw has four um and it, they don't obviously want to spoil anything um and that they might not have known who would be the next person after that at this point so they start um insinuating that it might be sting who yes. would be the fourth guy and that he would turn as well. And I thought it was interesting that like they played off this Hogan turn for that, because if Hogan could turn, yeah, anybody could turn. Um, So they were using that as a way to sort of plant seeds of doubt with sting. And then famously uh, they opened up an episode of nitro where they had a fake sting. Um, Jeff Farmer. Who apparently made a killing as fake sting in Japan. Good yeah. for you, brother. Good for you, brother. I, <laughs> if I'm sure that in 1996, when you're watching standard definition box TV television, like that, that could be compelling and that could make Look you just like him mind that it looks like sting mm -hmm. when it's HD and you're watching, you know, 4K 1080p. It ain't even close. Nope. Not really <laughs> that close at all. In the building, it probably, like, if you were sitting in the nosebleeds, it was kind of believable. Yeah. But damn, man, when you when you fire up Peacock and you're you're watching this, it's not believable at all. Yeah, no. I think that's, no. like, kind of the charm of the time as well. Like, right away with stuff like that because of the technological uh, drawbacks that you just didn't have back in the 90s. 100%. And another thing that bothered me, and this happened several times in WCW that I can think of, especially around Sting. They would have their backs to the hard cam. Yes. Whether that's in a promo or in other things like the Shockmaster scene. All you see is the British Bulldog's back. Yes. Why did they And do then I don't know. I don't know. And then in the promo where like, so fake Sting gets out of the limo. And Luger comes up to confront and the NWO beats the tar out of him, right? And it's fake Sting beating him up, whatever. Okay, so after this, now, in real life, this is one of Sting's best friends, okay? Yeah. So, and like, it, even if you don't know that backstage part, the man has worked with Sting for probably a decade now, <laughs> on and off. And so, like, this goes back to what you said. When you look at it in high def, it's like, Lex, come on. You're like, the, you can't even keep kayfabe on this one, brother. Like, there is no way that, that you don't know that that's not Sting. Anyway, so they do a, a backstage, and it's Lex, Arn, and Flair, and they're talking and whatever. And then Sting comes in, and all you see is the man's neck and back. Yeah. And I'm like, that's... Can you like stand to the side 
Yeah. Can we shoot this differently? Move the camera a piece? Like, I'm sure it's on a tripod or whatever, but like production wise, can we like figure this out a little better? You know, and and then as you're saying that, it kind of just reminds me of like the way that like Hall and Nash talk about WCW and even Bischoff. Like they wanted it to feel not like television. They wanted it to be like a show where you didn't know what was going to happen. And and they wanted to make you feel like they weren't playing to the camera. And that Mm -hmm. just sometimes, damn, when you go back and watch it, that's damn infuriating when you just have back to the back to the tv and you're like can you turn around and like just turn around brother like the only thing lex is really good for is having a physique and then steve stands in fuck in front of him <laughs> yes yes it's infuriating so uh, uh, so in this promo that we've now ripped to shreds um <laughs> luger luger is questioning the loyalty of sting uh to wcw to him to the team, etc. That brings Sting in. That's why he's standing in front of the camera because it wasn't a planned thing, but it still was a planned thing. So it's like get your shit together, production team, whatever. Yeah. Um. So he comes in. They have a yelling match, whatever. They finally get to War Games, and they're it, in the build up to War Games. They're continuing to do these um these little spots where they're 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 sowing that seed of doubt about Sting. Yeah. Um, so NWO brings out fake Sting. He's in there early. Uh, so it looks like Sting is on the team. They have the advantage because they're the heels, because uh that's how war games work. Heels always have the advantage. Mm-hmm. Um and Sting is the last one to come out. And he comes out, House of Fire, uh, beats down everybody. Uh, he's standing in the other ring from the rest of the WCW team. They're all just aghast. And he looks and yells at um, Luger, uh, is that enough for you? Uh, tears the whole team down and then just gets out of the cage and leaves the match. Great, great um, moment. Yes, 100%. Like it really, it conveys the hurt from Sting. From mm-hmm. being questioned for his loyalty, from being the franchise of WCW for a decade, right, uh, and by one of his best friends, and blah blah blah. So, like that that moment really works. That was really well done. It was really well executed. Yes. Um. He gets out. He leaves. Um. NWO jumps on the remaining three, and NWO wins War Games. Um. The next night on Nitro, um. He comes, Sting comes out, and you could almost call this like a pre pipe bomb, mid 90s kind of pipe bomb. I mean, it was still restrained. It wasn't too much inside business. It wasn't too much. um, But for the time and for the person and the character, it's kind of, it started to skirt a little bit of reality. Yes. Uh, Yeah. This is is set up. That's the people that I mentioned uh, a, a couple minutes ago that this is the, you know, I've poured my blood, my sweat and my tears into WCW. And this is like how you treat me as like you don't believe me that I'm the real sting and all that. And yeah. the, the real the real line of that promo is that the only thing for sting that's for certain is that nothing's for certain. And 
it was such a good promo. He's, you know, he does have the longer ish black hair. Now he's got the red and the white. It, it's very, yeah, he's still, he's still surfer in appearance, but you can see it's a weird transition between. So if you know what's coming, you can see what's coming, but he's got the, the still the surfer tights, the surfer paint, but he's starting to air those grievances. Yes. Um, and he says he's a free agent mm-hmm. and that he'll only show up to WCW when fans least expect it. And then this was a really awesome thing that they did as well. They took him off for a little while. Yeah. And he was over in Japan working for New Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, he was away and it made people think, well, shit, was he. Was that serious? Yeah. Um, started b- blurring the lines of reality and kayfabe yep. very well. Like this is the what WCW really capitalized on was blurring the lines of reality and and kayfabe, and they really did an amazing job with Sting with this. Yeah, and especially for the time, like you see it more today where they go where performer performers will go even further mm-hmm. uh, with it. Uh, and again, you can think of some of the CM Punk stuff, some of the code, late AEW Cody stuff where he yeah. starts blurring. Um, and occasionally they do, they, they kind of get in the vicinity of this in WCW, not super often. Right. Um, but every now and again. Uh, but this, for the time, this was kind of the closest that you got, um, you know, exactly. before they really started kicking off the Attitude Era. Yeah. And all that stuff with Austin and McMahon. And then you really started uh, learning those lines a little bit. But so Steve is out in New Japan and he comes back. Um, and this is where you get the first inkling of the crow look. So it's still the, the paint itself looks kind of like he was always doing uh, kind of around the mouth. Um and up on the nose mm-hmm. and on the forehead, and it's all white, and then it has a couple black sh- stripes, very much like the comic book character Eric Draven. Yes, um, like he sh- they should have gotten sued. It was so close. Um, <laughs> uh, so that he debuts that look um, on October twenty first, nineteen ninety six. That episode of Nitro. We talked about the crow, but it so the gimmick was inspired by this. It was originally a comic that was turned into a movie called The Crow. Uh, Scott Hall had seen the movie uh, adaptation. It was released in 1994. Mm-hmm. And one day in the locker room, they were talking about what was going on and Sting's gimmick and where they were going with the NWO and him. And um, Scott came up or, and Scott put the pieces together and said, hey, you know, um, this is an idea that might work for you. And he's often said, you know, whether it helps me or helps somebody else, everything helps the business. Mm-hmm. So if I have an idea, I'll go up and say it to somebody. Um, Which and... is contrary to like what a lot of people say about the NWO later. And yeah. the fact that like this great character was literally just brought up just because Paul watched the crow and like the him watching this movie and then inspired him to be like, maybe you should try something like this thing. And like that, that is what's really interesting that it's just all like, just, he just saw it in a, in a movie and he's like, let's do this. And 
pretty much Sting carbon copied the paint originally and the, the the evolution that ends up happening with the paint I think is a really interesting one too that if you're following along on YouTube you'll you'll see the progression of the paint as we go along here yeah um and so it's interesting when people say like uh you know what the NWO would or wouldn't do and what Scott would or wouldn't do as far as giving ideas and stuff like that well you got to think at least in this case they needed a foil. They needed that strong baby face to be the heel against. So right. whether he liked Steve Borden personally or not, or would have given it to somebody else or not was it was in their best interest to have that, you know, anti-hero baby face because they understood that they were that the baby face heel sort of mentality had flipped in the 90s. Right. And that, that wasn't what people wanted. They wanted cool bad guys. And that's what was getting over. Yes. And so you can't have the same kind of baby face if you have a different kind of heel. So to to do all of that, but also realize that, hey, we need a we need a foil. If we're if we just are running over people, which quite frankly, they ran over the entire roster three times over. Um <laughs> But there was one person they never really ran over. And right. that's why he was so popular. Like right. people invested in him as the hero, the good guy, whether it was in a different medium or not, it was still the classic good guy, bad guy, mm -hmm. just with a different flavor to it because of the time. Right. So, um, yeah. super other, interesting to see how that flips around. Right. The, the other interesting note that I want to add here before we move on from the promo is that this begins th this is where sting and the crow is obviously born and he dons the, the the new paint and everything but he doesn't speak a word or wrestle for 15 months mm -hmm. and like th that promo was where it all started and then he comes out and even though he's wearing the crow paint and he's in the ring and he's standing there he doesn't speak a word and we'll we'll touch more on that as we go. But like this is the start of that 15 months run of where he doesn't speak a word, doesn't wrestle a match or anything. Yeah. Uh, so in this moment, when he debuts the new look, it's because the NWO called him down mm -hmm. and wanted him to join. Uh, he comes down, takes out the fake Sting who was in the ring with them, uh, says the only thing that's for sure about Sting is nothing's for sure drops the mic and walks out. And that is the last time you hear him speak um, until weirdly yelling Mama Sita uh, <laughs> while being lifted up by some of the Lucha guys at Starcade 97. <laughs> it was a weird day for Steve Gordon. Yeah. that. Um, uh, so after this, there's a lot of um, continuing to build the mystery. You see him in the rafters. Uh, he doesn't do anything. You see the continuation of the paint starting to change. Um, he would come down occasionally and test the loyalty of WCW wrestlers, mm -hmm. offering them a free shot on him with the baseball bat. So that's where the baseball bat came or came from. Um, or he would hand them the bat and then walk a couple paces, turn around, and let them take a shot. So he would test their loyalty. They continue to build the ambiguity about his allegiance in uh, on December 16th. There's a big NWO WCW dust up in the ring. 
mm-hmm. and Arn doesn't know. He doesn't know if he's with him or against him. So he starts to attack him. Sting fights back, uh, kind of blurring that allegiance line even further. You can kind of see that his face is like, shit. Yeah. I didn't necessarily want to do that, but like, same thing. To... Yeah. Yeah. So they keep blurring those lines about his allegiance. Um, and it kind of comes to a crescendo as far as this will here, won't he be a WCW guy? Um, in early 97, uh, where they do a couple week angle where Sting seemingly joins the NWO. He never says yes or no. He just kind of comes in and stands with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the following week, they come out and do a promo. He walks out with them and he looks super disinterested and disgusted, but he's there. Uh, and then the, the week after, he pulls a Lindros and gets a shirt or a jersey, uh, but doesn't wear it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at Uncensored, in the middle of the match, he, or I shouldn't say at the middle of the match, he attacks uh, Hogan and Macho Man and somebody else. I forget who the other person was. But he attacks the NWO, and that kind of signifies bing, bang, boom. Um, he is a WCW guy, and he is. That's where he's going to live in this story, and it solidifies him as the big baby face. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this is really where you, they kick it into overdrive with the idea that there's a baby face and a heel, uh, and Sting is that guy. You're not going to see him wrestle, but you will see him every other week some you know most weeks um and it's usually the same formula if an nwo main event hogan comes down playing the guitar on the belt blah 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 big beat down at the end because they cheated and then sting comes down to save the day and they ran that for a good long while um to the point that it kind of uh it gets a little old if you go back and do a rewatch all at once. Once a week, I think it works. Yeah. When you start doing it multiple <laughs> times a week, it, it starts Ugh. to lose its luster. Like, and that's kind of the thing that, that that was the thing that is synonymous with WCW. They they found one thing that worked very, very well, and then they just ran it into the ground because they just kept giving it to you because that's what you wanted as a fan. They were they would do view fan service. They just did overkill fan service to the point where we're kind of getting over what we're seeing here. Yeah. Um, and again, like I said, if, if you're binging it, it's one thing. Like if you binge it, then it's like, okay, for the second or third one, it's like, all right, we get the point. Right. But on weekly episodic television, it just helps build that point that, okay, this, he is definitely the good guy. He definitely has their number. Mm-hmm. You know, even when there's more than, you know, more than one of them, he's got the bat. Right. And, you know, he is that dude. So. And him just dropping in from the rafters too, like him just piping in at the most random times, like even when there's always an NWO WCW dust up, you just knew Sting was coming from somewhere in the rafters. You just didn't know when. And when he did, the the amount of crowd response that he would get would, was, you just knew that that it was clear as day that this is the savior of wcw and but he also like with the arm thing that you mentioned he would he would blur he blurred the lines like i don't i don't want to be a part of wcw i don't want to be a part of nwo i want to be sting i just want to be here and i want to do what's best for all of us yeah and and, and him 
you know, whether he dropped from the ceiling or just stood in the rafters pointing the bat, like every week, that's what you wanted to see. You wanted to see what was Sting going to do next to stick it to NWO. And it's it it's a very special time. And if you binge it, it gets a smidge old. But when you're doing the weekly episodic build, it's it's building an amazing story that no one ever touched. No one ever got ever close to this story. It's so well done especially for the time and the thought that they put into it to keep you going and keep you thinking, when is Sting going to get to the final boss? Which yeah. obviously was Hogan. Yeah, and they would do, and, and they knew, um, I think, the idea that it could get stale doing this every week, so they would throw in little subplots like him in DDP. Yes. Um, and you know, March and like that little bit of stuff too. So they would, they would throw in some little bit of stuff to change it. So it wasn't entirely formulaic. It was, it was a template, not met necessarily an exact formula. Um, but that was the kind of stuff that, you know, and part of it was, I think they knew they were getting to Starcade 97, which right. is where we'll go here in a second. But <laughs> so they were kind of trying to get there, fill a little time, continue to build the plot and the story. And, that sort of stuff. Um, so in the build-up to Starcade '97, the big um, one, yeah, the the big the the big one. So you had all of this year uh, worth of plot that had developed, um, and intrigue and mystery, and 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 wanting to see it happen. Um, so JJ Dillon, the timeless one, um, <laughs> the he eight- was the Dylan. Yeah. He was he was the president of WCW or whatever specific. He was the authority figure. Yes. Um and he was trying to get Sing Sting to sign a contract uh for a match. Uh but he wasn't giving him the right opponent. He was giving him NWO guys, but it wasn't the right one. So for a couple of weeks there, they did the all right, Sting come out here. I have a contract for you. It's ice train. Or <laughs> <laughs> or flat, you know, Scott Norton, or you know, um, not, oh God, it what was, is it? What it was Hogan? It wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't who he was looking for, and the yeah were were clear that I don't want these guys. I want Hogan. Without, yeah, I was. I, I struggled there. I struggled there because I was trying to remember what Xbox gimmick name was. Oh, six pack, six pack, and I and I said eight pack. Yeah. in my head and then i had eight ball in my head and i'm like no that's too close to real life we need to <laughs> oh, i was like he wasn't that on the nose oh wow you know, yeah. but but well, yeah they they were no he, it was up his nose i mean but, yeah i mean it was um, right. yeah um so they were doing these this this way to again they're building excitement for okay it's it's Hogan. And finally, while Sting is not talking, he pulls a sign out of the crowd that says Sting wants Hogan. Yes. And that's how they kind of and get to it. Do you think that sign was a plant? That's a good question. Because that's I a, don't know. a great little thing. Like if they planted that or if that was actually yeah. a fan in the crowd that just re- happened to bring that sign. That's kind of interesting to think about, too. I'd like to say it was the magic, yeah, uh, of of real of 
Because they had been doing that for several weeks at that point. Yeah. And like when you watch it or binge it and you go and you're like, my God, this is not that hard. Like from a from a cognitive perspective, it's like, okay, you ran this thing dry like three weeks ago. Just sign the damn Hogan contract. Yes. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, in that regard, whatever. But um, so they finally they finally get the right thing. They get the um, the contract signed. um, And then they start building up for Starcade 97. This is the big match, the blow off. Um, This is where it was supposed to come to an end, where they were supposed to um, have this be done. And Crown Sting, he finally defeats Hogan, takes the belt from him, which was the power. Uh, so, yeah, Starcade 97. I'm so excited to talk about Starcade 97 we, because we finally made it here. And this, like, what could have been? Yeah, and absolutely. Like I feel like that's what we say a lot about WCW is like, what could have been? And this is, this was the moment. And when we talk about moments, very fitting, very fitting that we're recording this and talking about moments because this was the moment for WCW, for Sting, for the NWO. And it just was a hot, steamy pile of cow shit. They, you made the the apt comparison on Friday that the WrestleMania this year is going to be Starcade '97. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I had been thinking it, life. yeah, storyline wise. Um, and I and I agree. Like you have this that you've built to. You've done this huge thing. You're at the finish line. You just have to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And then you just epically screw this up. Yes, because and there's yes, you have the some of the biggest stars that have ever been in the business historically. There's politicking. There's I that doesn't work for me, brother. And We'll talk about some of the conspiracies behind this, but where we're at in the time frame, if you're like Starcade 97 is right after the screw job, right? This is where like Brett just is fresh into WCW. He literally showed up, I believe, the week before Starcade 97. Like, there is no reason that WCW should not have all of the momentum. And 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 rightfully so they do, and it's just like what <laughs> what are we doing here? Why why do we have to overcomplicate things? And I think the reason that it got overcomplicated was what happened earlier in the day before the show started with Bischoff and Hogan and Sting all coming together to work on to work on the match and come up with the finish. Yeah. And so there was an interesting thing that you said there that kind of sparked a bit of a conversation in my head and a parallel to what's going on yeah, in current WWE world. Um, you have this thing, you have this wonderful creative story. And 
you've built this thing and there was there was two problems with it. They screwed it up mm-hmm. because of egos. And whether Sting was physically, mentally ready or not, okay, whatever. Yeah, we'll touch on that. Yeah. Um, so because there's sounds like there's some Steve Borden blame to go around to, and he acknowledges that. But um they they did the biggest business they had done to that point with this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't have a plan afterwards. Right. And and then, you know, they made all this money at Starcade 97. They they somehow finished up the right way, but it wasn't it wasn't done the right way. And there are a lot of people when you look at and and analyze what was the death of WCW. A it's, lot of people point to that right there. I start I the the death of WCW for me it starts with this show. Yes, the Shivani says the same thing. And I mean, yes, there was other things going on. They jumped the shark multiple times. The Russo era of booking, um, the death of the NWO, and that it wasn't a clean death. That they let it drag out and then peter out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the accounting practices of Turner, some yep. of the that there might have been inside kind of tampering um, when they were looking to sell. Yes. Um, so there was a lot of reasons, but if you look at it from a creative standpoint, it was never as good as it was in the lead up to Starcade '97. They didn't have a plan for after it. And that was the last time it was good. Yeah. Truly good. Truly good. And uh, that's a real problem that um, while WWE is leaps and bounds more financially stable mm-hmm. and will continue to go on if they continue with the stupid ass choices they've made uh, for this year's WrestleMania. And everything will be fine, and it will just be a sore spot, just like 1997 Starcade is for a lot of folks. It will still be fine, but you know, for those of us who like to see long-term storytelling and booking, like this, this is the kind of thing. How can you trust the creative folks? Just like how could you trust them after Starcade '97? They did this big, wonderful thing, and then promptly shit the bed, mm-hmm. and it's the same thing happening again, right? So like, and their business was never as good. This nope. was where they started to become less hot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, WWE just has kind of gotten to the point where they're really on fire. And the storylines are as good as WWE is going to do. And they have people invested in certain people in certain ways. Maybe there's a lesson to be had from this. Yeah, in that no, regard. I, I agree. And when you have when you have people invested in years worth of storytelling to like we all understand that sting was on the path to become the guy and when yep. and, and planning for him to become the guy is absolutely the right thing to do it's the right call all of the steps along the way were done the proper way but for you to not think beyond that like what's now where do we go from here is very synonymous in in today's like WWE. You have to think beyond, and I think that that's kind of that's that's not even today's WWE. That's just wrestling in general. 
the the chase is always better than the rain and right and that's that's a theme in sting's career because he is a baby face correct like the, where his the, reigns were never really even closely as good no and and what happened at starcade 97 you know pre pre-show stuff that happened with bischoff and hogan hogan and them you know seeing sting come in to the meeting and they're like whoa this isn't the sting that you know we saw back in you know whenever he left in 96 as the before the crow character and i don't right. believe bischoff bischoff is a serial liar in all of this but him saying i didn't realize sting was out that out of shape was not taking care of his body just did not look interested or good just he didn't look mentally healthy or physically healthy and for them because yeah, that stopped a wrestling promoter from ever pushing someone come on it, yeah i know right and 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 it's well documented by Sting himself that he was going through a lot of things outside of the business. Like, oh, uh, there was a lot of things like he had had a um, a drug issue uh, that he's talked about, you know, like things things outside of the workplace were not good for him here. Yeah. And which also, I think, helped the character in a in a twisted, dark way that it it made that character go even deeper into it and lean into mm -hmm. that seriousness all of that darkness that it made he basically lived through that character on screen basically saying like I'm not okay and then we get to Starcade Hogan sees this Bischoff sees this and they just fucking pull the plug on it and you know we get to the match it's you know not not your it's your very typical hogan style match it, it's not going to be a five star you know melter meeting no. it, it wasn't a good match and then you know nick patrick is supposed to do the fast count at the end and it, he doesn't fast count it and then all of a sudden you have newly signed bret hart fresh off the screw job to come in and restore law and order and then you know he's like the referee now talk about overcomplication at its finest right it's right in front of you and you get antsy and you just start overthinking and overcomplicating everything this match was dog shit this moment was dog shit and then for them to you know restart the match as with brett as the uh, law and order the referee and now brett like it makes no sense and like yes you do quote unquote get the feel-good moment of sting being hoisted in the air as the champion but then what they did after in the next couple of weeks of nitro is awful it's yep. bad it killed it dead deader than yep. kelsey's nuts killed it yep. and i think that is kind of where <laughs> that's where all of this unravels. And I think that that is very true that what we just said, the chase is better than the rain. Right. And the match could have been not good. Like not every match needs to be a seven star Tokyo Dome spectacle. You know what I mean? Like some kind of athletic contest. It doesn't need to be that, especially with Hogan, because you don't expect that you need 
you need what you need out of Hogan in the ring, especially at the, you know, where he was in his career at the time. Mm-hmm. And you need him one, two, three on his back, looking up at the lights at the end of this thing. Right. Clean in the middle, one, two, three. And had, and even, let's be honest, had um, Nick Patrick done the fast count, it still would have been all being the heel ref, it still would have worked. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying it was good. Oh, you, oh, you, okay, gotcha. It's still, okay. I, as, I as far as what they were thinking, now I'm not saying the plan makes any goddamn sense, but. <laughs> It him doing a normal count made it even worse because then it brought in Brett, who then looked like a goof. Yeah. And who looked like he was cheating and yes. Sting was cheating. Yes. To then do this. So like you you fucked up not only once, but then you fucked it up twice. And I've never gone and watched the uh 83 weeks where they have Nick Patrick and um Bischoff watching this match together at the same time. Oh my god! And talking about it uh, I, because I didn't need to get irrationally angry. Yeah, but Nick Patrick said he was instructed by Hogan to not fast count, and, and he was told by Bischoff you. to fast count. So and thank he you. knew who was in charge. Thank you for bringing that up because that is the conspiracy, and that's where it kind of led from. Is that Hogan paid Nick Patrick? to not fast count and but the plan was backstage from bischoff was to fast count and that that is just so that is just peak hogan doesn't work for me brother i'm better than you i had say eat your vitamins say your prayers i'm now hollywood hogan you can look at all these people these people are the ones that are in charge but i'm actually the one in charge and seems very familiar recently Yes, with a certain other Dwayne. Older. Well, yeah. And then you transition from uh, Starcade 97 into Nitro the next night. Oh, it just got worse. I don't know how they figured out how to make it worse, but they made it fucking worse. If you can only make it worse, think of worst case scenario. You do the rematch on free television. People just paid to watch this match. People wanted to see this match. They had over 800,000 people buy this match. Buy this pay-per-view to see this match, and then you give it to them free on TV the following night, and then the show runs long, so they don't even see the finish. And they say that was on purpose because they wanted them to go watch Thunder and see the ending of it. And the ending sucked. So now you've brought them up, let them down, brought them up, let them down again on a brand new show. After you screwed them on a Monday and screwed them on a Sunday. Yeah. Let's bring them to, and then, bring them to Thunder. Let's vacate the title. I know. What? My God. What are we doing? <laughs> so at this point, Sting being champion means nothing. It means not nothing. at all. It's bad. Oh, is it bad? Right. Uh, and this right. is why we say that Starcade 97 is the downfall. It is because this is the kind of booking that you see the rest of the run of Nitro. Yes. Cattle uh, prods. Oh my God. So vacating, vacating an entire show's worth of titles. Uh, New blood. It's so bad. It is so bad. And then even when Sting, so, you know, Sting does win the title. Sting does become yes. the World Heavyweight Champion. Uh-huh. It, at, at Super Brawl 8. 
Yeah, yeah Super Bowl eight, he becomes world champion. It, it does not mean anything nope. because the moment passed. You had the moment right in your face. You overcomplicated it because you're scared and you don't and you think that I'm not. This is going to make me look bad too. And then you pivot to something else that makes absolutely no sense to what you've been doing for 15 months. And then now it's just pure chaos. And, and here's this, the thing. When they gave the, him the title, now. the only thing it served to do was further the split of the NWO storyline. Yeah. It did nothing for Steve Borden. Nope. He was an accessory to Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan because when he won the damn thing again, it was a cheat. They had they had Savage come in and hit Hogan with a spray paint can, which would do fuck all, first of all. Yeah. Second of all, then they used the whole thing as a way to get to drive a wedge between Hogan and Savage because they didn't have this planned out well enough to begin with to have a good coherent story where mm-hmm. you don't geek out your goddamn baby face, do heel shit to make him a champion, and then cuck him the entire time <laughs> for the fucking thing. Which, again, typical Sting championship brain booking, and that's not his fault. Yes. So he would go on to defend the title against Hall, Nash, DDP, and he ended up losing the title to Savage at Spring Stampede 98. Um, and this was after an interference from Nash to make him look strong after you geeked him out for an entire title reign. Uh. Then and then so this is even worse. This is more brothering. The next night, Hollywood does what he did in kind of what he did was that WrestleMania nine or ten? Nine. With with Brent with Brett and Yoko. WrestleMania nine. Okay, so he he kind of does a modified limited WrestleMania nine. Mm-hmm. Comes in, demands a title shot, gets it, and wins it after an interference from Bret Hart. Yeah. What? The ultimate babyface. Who just got screwed? Who literally yes got screwed a few months before? And got screwed by him at WrestleMania nine, both yeah. on camera. And off camera. Yeah. Uh, What? It's like what you... What? It is what you have here on your notes. The bloom is off the nitros. Oh, my God. Just absolutely... (laughs) My my note on that was, what in the fuck was this booking, brother? Yeah. And that's exactly what it was. He got hit with a jet ski in the face again. He had a big quote-unquote... Wasn't Savage punching him in the face? It should have been Sting punching him in the fucking face. <laughs> if you ever had, a, if you ever had a real use for a goddamn baseball bat, Steve Borden, it was Hogan and his fucking knees. They're yeah. almost gone anyway. You could have just ended this fucking bullshit. <laughs> Would have saved WCW a buttload of goddamn money from all the suits later on. Way to go, Steve. Way to be forward thinking. Ah, uh, it's just, and this, this is where. 98 is just such a wild year for sting yeah and the the nwo thing it's it's ran its course you've been doing it for a year and a half now going on two years and then they do the split into the wolf pack and at the time the wolf pack i'll i'll admit the wolf pack the music is fantastic can you please splice it in right here just a couple beats of it yeah 
the Wolfpack, the Wolfpack music fantastic. And Sting then being inserted into the Wolfpack with Tomato Face Sting. Yep. It it was a cool new look. Sting became, you know, more vocal. Um yep. so you were starting to see a kind of a surfer sting crow sting mixture like melded them together kind of yeah it kind of ended up being where he's at now right kind of yes very modern day-esque sting yeah and they did the famous shirt ripping moment where he took off his duster and he was wearing a a holly nwo hollywood shirt the traditional white logo on the black shirt uh, because they wanted him to join, and it was, oh my god, he joined for real, blah, 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 and then he ripped it, and there was a wolf pack shirt underneath it, and then he attacked. That's when he started, he added red to the color palette and replaced the white. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the face paint became red. The boots and the um, singlet with the weird padding. I never weird, understood that singlet. Yeah, the weird crotch padding. It was... Uh... Oh, right, brother. Why don't, yeah. He's protecting himself from nut shots. I guess that's forward thinking. I guess it is. Um, and he, he came out to be a little bit more aggressive. He talked a little bit more. Um, the really, really awkward goatee and face paint combination is in this yes, era. an awkward pairing. I would also pop huge if someday someone ever made an action figure of that. Uh, that would be incredible. The tomato yeah. sting ringside exclusive is a great is a great figure. I think you have that. I one. have it. Yeah, I do. It's a great one. I absolutely have that one. It was um, more money than I should have ever spent on it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, 1998, you know, started as a pile of hot dog shit, and it just kind of really didn't really ma- materialize into anything really for Sting. 1998, you know, 1998 was Goldberg's year and with the NWO, and Sting kind of got, for all intents and purposes, got pushed out of the main event like really the championship scene it feels like right. to me too and it just doesn't it just was never this nothing was ever the same after after starcade 97 yeah and like just a brief overview of what he was doing creatively at the time they had a weird relationship between sting and the giant yeah the giant was an nwo again somehow um because of course he was and yeah. they were tag champs before Sting made a choice about which NWO flavor he was going to be. Um, that led to a match. So they were tag team champions at the time when this happened. Yeah. Odd um, yeah. Yeah. And I guess it was part of like, Hey, let's use giant and a tag team title reign to help entice Sting into Hollywood NWO, whatever. Yeah. Um, so after the split, um, because one went to because Sting went to the red and black attack. Um, they had a match for control of the tag titles. They had a singles match for the tag titles, which is odd. Their their tag title, yeah. it's it's supposed to be tag teams, not tag singles. Right. right, and then to boot, whoever won got to pick who was their partner to be the tag team champion with. <laughs> what is that? You, you right. just win the titles and then pick your partner now. Right. So anyway, it's stupid ass book. Anyway, Sting goes up as he should in all things ever. Um, and he chose Nash as his uh partner. Uh Which, this then Nash and the Wolfpack is such a great it's, it's a great Nash was so over as Wolfpack. Like if you go back and watch yes. like 
if you go back and watch those 98 shows, like the Wolfpack Man, Don't Turn Your Back on the Wolfpack was legit over. Yeah, it was. Big time. It legit over. And it's And they talked about, um, like, basing it on, um, like, the gangster rap hip-hop scene. Yes. Um, So, like, that was part of the impetus of putting Conan in there and sort of the way they talked and dressed and the music uh, that they came out to. Uh, Bless up Jimmy Hart for that. It's um, not that it was bad. It's not that the Wolfpack was bad. It's just that the no. things they did along the way with it don't make no sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this led into a feud with Brett. Brett cost them, cost Nash. Um, he helped cost Nash the, and Sting the titles uh, because there was a split between Nash and Hall. Hall left the Wolfpack to go to NWO Hollywood. Yeah. Um, this led to a... Um, an injury angle for Steve. Um, I think it was an angle he might have been actually hurt. I don't know. He was away from TV for a while. Yes. They lost the titles and he was away. And thankfully, in the time that he was gone, the whole wolf pack thing came to an end. Um, yeah, that kind of really wrapped up uh, 98 for him. He was kind of out of it. But 99 turns into a resurrection for the crow. Yeah. And yeah, so he comes back and he's back as the crow. Yes. In 19 um, so as 1999 starts and everything, he he returned as the crow uh since the, you know the wolf pack kind of phased out of its deal um and the NWO was kind of in a weird transitional period too. Um we get the really bad nitro set change everything this is when nitro started to to really turn for the worst and sting came back as the crow um and he ended up winning the title two times in 1999 yeah so interestingly like he first comes back and he's put into the main event scene and he's in four corners match at spring stampede um and that's where ddt wins the title Mm -hmm. um he then beats page for the title on nitro and loses it later that night back to Page, where he wasn't pinned because DDP pinned Nash. Yeah. In a another four corner match. Oh my lord. Uh so after this, he's um he's feuding with Savage, Sid, Rick Steiner, and then he becomes the WCW on screen president. Okay. So <laughs> He then, in kayfabe, put himself in a program with Hogan where they were both baby faces. They had a they had a tag team thing. He questioned Hogan. He ended up winning uh, the world title from Hogan for his sixth and final time at Fall Brawl '99. Um, and this, so it was it was a baby baby match, and I guess they wanted to keep Hogan baby face, so they tried. This is where they tried and spectacularly failed, and probably for the best. Yeah. To make um, Sting a heel. So uh, Luger brought down uh, Sting's bat and he used it over the, um, I think he went over the back of Hogan uh, mm-hmm. with it um, to get the win. Um, but this- as we talked about before, no one ever buys Sting as a heel. 
Right. So just stop trying to make him a bad guy. No one believed that Stone Cold Steve Austin was a heel. Now, I know that that right. was going like down the line years later, but no one believed. No one wanted to root against Sting. So stop no, no one did. trying to do it. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. So they kept doing, they kept pushing this because Russo booking. Mm. Um, so they kept trying to do this. They kept trying to do it. Eventually he stripped. So he has, it's a weird, he has a Halloween Havoc match with Hogan where Hogan laid down for him. Which, what the fuck? Yeah. And then the next night there's an open challenge match that he has with Goldberg. And I guess to get out of the match, he attacks the referee. I couldn't bring myself to go back and find this. Um, to do this. So they ended up stripping him of the title for his last title reign. So that's <laughs> twice he's been stripped. Yeah. Because you don't know what the fuck you're doing and you have no plan. Anyway. Yeah. So they get back to... So we're we're in the as Tony Schiavone calls it, the coffin on roller skates portion of WCW. It literally is a coffin on roller skates. This is the bad part of WCW. We're like 99, early 2000. Yeah. So he goes back to being a baby face because he always was at mayhem that he had, they had some kind of tournament and he lost to Brett, but he shook his hand at the end of it. I don't know why you put Brett over, but whatever. Further, he had some further forgettable feuds, while one of them including Luger, late 99, 2000. And then they do the reboot. Oh, my. Oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. My notes, I wrote down, after the reboot, he feuded with Vampiro and was burned alive or whatever. Russo, womp, womp. Human <laughs> torch. Um, he comes back uh, at... Bash at the Beach 2000. So they clearly stole Undertaker's gimmick. They had Vampiro come out in a casket. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he had dick druids like Joey Janela, But they were in sting masks. Oh my gosh. And naturally, <laughs> when you see a group of people in a sting mask, it is inevitable that one of them is sting. Yes. Um, so one of them is sting. I guess he's in a casket. They open it up and sting starts whooping that ass. Um. Bash at the, the end of this is a great show that we we're we should do down the pipeline uh, because it's such a train wreck between this and then Hogan and Jarrett. Oh my God, Bash of the Beach yeah. 2000 is a that that signified the end of WCW for me. It was the end. Yeah, and why they had in kayfabe uh, Sting get lit on fire and then to boot jump off a high ass platform. Uh. He's already on fire. What's the difference? Yeah, yeah. He's going to burn to death. Do we need to kill him before he burns to death? <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. Like, anyway, stupid bullshit. Anyway, he's burned to death and he's apparently dead. <laughs> he comes back. He's then dead again, I guess, because he's not on TV for a while until the final episode of Nitro. Oh my so, god! <laughs> yeah, so we have. Oh my god, we're we're at the point now where we're at the end of this, and WWE comes in uh, for the final um, 
recording or the final live show. It's the syndicated show mm-hmm. um, or the simulcast. I'm sorry, the simulcast. Um, and naturally, um, when WWE needed or when WCW needed something, they pulled the um, Sting and Ric Flair um, emergency button. And so, I think for me, I think that knowing that sting like we had talked about in the previous episode sting and flair was the feud of that time and for them to be the first main event of nitro and then you know hindsight being that they end up being the final main event of nitro i felt like that was the perfect close of the book of what of wcw and and i agree i agree you know, not that Flair was at the top of his game here, like he kind of was in 95. I don't even know if we could even really say that Flair was at the top of his game in 95 either, but... Um, or in 2005, or in 2025, when he has another retirement match. I, you know, I'd still say that Flair really hit, ended up hitting his stride, in the in, especially when we get to WrestleMania 24. But, agreed, agreed. I was joking. I know, I did, yeah. But it was... Flair here was not the flair that we know. Sting, kind of then the Sting that we know him as today. If you're going to think about Sting, if you know Sting from today, and, you, and it's a, basically a carbon copy of what you got in that final, uh, then that final main event of Nitro. Yeah, um, I mean it was a Sting and Ric Flair match. You had the face bumps, the back body drops, the um, Flair the gets shot off into the corner up and over yep. um you know they did all all the things that you expect in a flare and sting match and it was um excellent it was what in in hindsight i don't know that you put another match on last for the last right it was a great call by i'm assuming vince and them came up with that yeah whoever did and brought him in uh, because Sting had been off TV, Flair had been off TV. That's why he was wrestling in the shirt because he felt like he didn't look TV ready. And yeah, you know, Sting Sting has always been in good shape, but you know he wasn't like Surfer Sting level, right? You know, Jack to the gills kind of thing. But two familiar faces ending this and shutting it down the way um, that it was, and then you know Sting went over because it was Flair. So he was going to put Stinger over. And then when all the transition happened and Sting was one of the top paid guys, um, they had WWE gave everybody an option. You can either sit out your AOL Time Warner contract and and bring home that money and you're not working. Mm -hmm. Or you can have the opportunity to earn the same and or better and work with us. Um, And Sting was making that stupid money. Mm -hmm. Um, so he said, uh, screw all this. Um, Ted Turner, give me that check. So, yeah. And, you know, post WCW was an interesting time for Sting because it, it's not that WWE didn't want Sting. They absolutely oh, yeah. Sting. Oh, yeah. Sting just watched what the product was doing and how they killed guys like DDP. They killed Booker T in the invasion. And Sting didn't want to be a part of that. He didn't want to have his character killed like what right. they did to DDP and Booker T. Now, 
I would say that Booker T went on to then eventually, you know, resurrect what they kind of did during the invasion. DDP never made the ne never made the jump back to what he was. And, no. you know, and when they brought out the the stars, like when the contracts were up and they finally brought in like the NWO and Scott Steiner and it didn't. It there, was not that great. Well, there's there's very few guys that transitioned into the tippy top guys that they they were. And you know, the Goldberg thing didn't work. The Hogan thing had a long run, had some good good moments. Um taught Dwayne how to Dwayne. Yeah. Real passing of the torch, brother. Mm. Um, you know, Nash tore his quad a hundred times. And never really panned out very well. Died his beard and got eviscerated by CM Punk. Yeah. <laughs> Hall, he, you know, he had his, his addiction issues that didn't pan out well. Things just did not go well for these WCW guys in the WWE environment. Now, some of that is because of, you know, obviously Vince, you know, killing these guys and not put, not going to put WCW over WWE, brother. I just bought you out, but. I, I can absolutely resonate with Sting here why he never went to WWE until later on. That we'll cover in part three, but hell no, I wouldn't want to go to WWE, especially what they did to all those guys during the invasion. And then they did it to him later, spoiler alert. Yes, yeah, so that <laughs> so that uh that is the crow uh in WCW that covered Bash of the Beach 96 until the end of WCW. And that's kind of where we don't see the crow. We don't see Sting for a couple years because he sat out that Time Warner deal. And that's where we'll pick up in part three. So uh, if you're following along here, we're going to do part three. It's going to be the week of AEW Revolution. That's where we'll cap off the, the Icon series. Uh, so make sure that you like and subscribe. You follow us both on Instagram. I'm at the underscore Podsky, and that's the same for X or Twitter. And you follow the Podsky doc on Instagram. And you just keep following along here. We got some good stuff coming up. We got No Way Out 2004 next week. And we got we got a lot of good stuff. It's all in the socials. You can see kind of what we got laid out here uh, coming up in the future. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to this final piece of uh, content for Sting's career. I think the TNA uh, era is um, it's underrated for Sting. It is. Um, and he did a lot of great stuff in there. He made people. He worked with people that he hadn't before. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you really go back and watch, there's a lot of good stuff in there. Um, and a lot and of I mean, some people, some people don't like it. But I mean, honestly, Joker Sting is. Probably the best character work he ever did. Yeah. And highly freaking entertaining. Uh, yeah. I know some people don't like it because of like the use of the word insane and like how that fits in the 2024 context. And okay, maybe it could look a little stupid and campy, you know, because he's not an actor and it, but still. Um, so there's a lot of good stuff in there. And then the WWE run and then um, coming to AEW. I'm looking yeah. forward to covering. Absolutely. So yeah, we'll cover all three of those runs in part three. Uh, and yeah, I just, it's, it's just so crazy how great the crow was and started. And then we just kind of took you down the downfall and, and he, his fall is just as, 
you know, just the same as what WCW's was at the same time. And it's not to his fault at all. It's a lot of other stuff that we could, I mean, we could go on for hours about things that happened in WCW. Um, and I'm sure we probably will down the line here on the show. So, um, but yeah, so things very much a mirror to how really, WCW was really, it was whenever sting was doing really well and great. WCW was doing really well and great. And when he was doing really bad, it was the down and dumps and the shits of WCW. Anyway, we'll talk about that in future episodes, and I'm looking forward to the next one. Um, so I'll sign off with a uh, traditional, it's showtime, folks. It's showtime, folks! <laughs>